The opinions expressed during this podcast are the individual's own and do not represent those of Wyndham City Council. Hello, welcome to Recently Returned. Today's episode is a special podcast-exclusive version of Live with the Librarians. Coming to you from isolation, we don't have a beautiful library to film in, and we aren't so live today, but we still have our librarians and we're ready to talk about what we've been reading. I'm one of your regular hosts, Kirsty, and I'm joined today by a couple of my colleagues, Anita. Hi. And Sophie. Hi there. Hi. Um, so why don't we get the ball rolling with what we're currently reading at the moment? Uh, Anita, do you want to start us off? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually um, currently reading, and it, it's a reread. I'm rereading one of my favourites, um, which is a Jane Austen classic called Persuasion. So it was her uh, the last novel she wrote and the second last novel published by her. Um, and it's sort of it is a bit more mature in in terms of the characters and the style. Um, the main character, her name's Anne Elliot, and she is the uh, ripe old age of 27, which at the time was um, considered a bit on the, the higher end of a single lady's uh, age bracket, um, acceptable age bracket, I should say. Um, and she, yeah, Anne Elliot, she's the daughter of a baronet and she has two sisters um, and her father is, is very much into um, kind of, privilege and his position in society and you know being respected as a baron um and a lot more modest than that she's not really fussed but you know it's her lot in life and family connections are really important um her family unfortunately finds themselves in debt um thanks to her father's extravagant um spending habits and they rent their home out to um an admiral who's returned from the war with his wife and um, the family, like Anne and her family, has to move to Bath. Um, now Anne gets to stay near the family home, and in that time her paths cross with Captain Frederick Wentworth, who she was engaged to when she was younger. So she was engaged to him when she was younger, and they've crossed paths again. They're both still single, but they've they've changed quite a lot, you know, I think it's like eight years have passed since um, their engagement. And so you kind of follow their rediscovery of each other, which is, you know, not quite um, uh, smooth sailing, hence the novel. But, um, yeah, it's a really charming book and it's it's one of my favourites by her. I think it's really um, uh, just the way she handles their, yeah, their getting to know each other again and the the mixed feelings they have, like the hesitance and the, the, you know, trepidation. And then it's quite funny too. I think one of my um favourite, like, funny characters from Austin is in this book and that's um Anne's sister Mary who, you know, likes to consider herself quite ill and quite ill-used all the time and she's um a real, real funny character to, to, to meet. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying rereading that one. Um, giving myself a bit of comfort reading and I um, do tend to reread this book maybe once every couple of years so um, yeah Mm. I've read it quite a few times. 
Yeah, it's one of my favourite Austins too. I really like Persuasion. Mm. Um, yeah, as you said, the, the, the characters are nice and, and complex and it's a nice look at the relationship between Wentworth and Anne. Mm-mm. Um, and I really like the the BBC version uh, of Persuasion. It's really quite sweet. Is it Sally Hawkins? Yeah, I know that version. Um, Sally mm-hmm. Hawkins and uh, Rupert Penry Jones is. That's uh, right. He's that tall blonde guy. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. He's very good as Wentworth. Yeah, and Sally mm-hmm. Hawkins is really sweet too. She's um she's charming. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. a nice version. And you made a great point about it being comfort reading as well. I think, uh, especially at the moment, it can be hard to to find that emotional energy to invest in in new things and new characters. Um, so sometimes picking up something that maybe maybe the book is not a happy book necessarily, mm. but it's something that you're familiar with and you know what to expect. Um, that that can be well a great a great comfort um, when you're feeling a bit unsettled as well. Yeah. It's like a warm yeah. hug, like a warm hug from characters you know, like you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. There's definite comfort there. Um, so Sophie, what what are you reading at the moment? Uh, something quite different to Anita. I'm reading The Bone Houses by Emily Lloyd Jones. Um, it's a fantasy novel and it's influenced by Welsh folklore and culture. Uh, and I'd say it's for young adult readers, uh, but it's the story of Rin. She is a grave digger uh, and she's trying to make ends meet. Her parents have passed away. Her uncle was briefly on the scene, but then he leaves. So she has the care of her younger brother and sister uh, and they live near a forest and you learn that the forest is uh, perilous and the mountains beyond are also dangerous and because it was the, the home of the fabled other king. Um, and I don't really know much about him yet but I, I know that the other king used to live there but his power is somehow faded or gone. Um, and Rin uh, has met Ellis, who is a young map, ma- map maker, uh, and he has come from the, the big city nearby. But I think not is all as it seems with Ellis. Uh, there's, you know, some, some threads coming through in his story um, that maybe suggest he has a connection to the other king, which is quite interesting. Um, so Rin, um, Rin, as well as being a, a grave digger, destroys bone houses, and bone houses is what they call reanimated corpses. So I, I guess like zombies. Ooh, very um, poetic yeah. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's funny. I, I, I really don't think of them as zombies mm. because they're they're sort of characterized. You know, I feel like sometimes they're almost trying to talk to Rin, or you know, they're they're not these mindless, questioning mm. the restless dead. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more like th- there is something. Um, there is something greater than the the corpses 
reanimating them. You know, it, it's like a power beyond them. It's not a drive that they themselves have. Mm. Um, and perhaps it's it's an impulse that they don't want. You know, they want to be at rest. Um, and so she, Rin has an axe and basically she knocks them to pieces and then takes their bones to the smithy where the smithy burns them in the forge. And that's the only way to to get rid of them. Because, you know, you could have a hand that's dismembered, but it will still come to life at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you have to burn the whole body. Um, so what is happening with the bone houses is that they usually stick to the forest near where Rin lives, but they're coming out of the forest now. And most people think that bone houses are a myth, but then they attack the village. Uh, so, you know, it's a bit of a rude awakening, especially for the younger mm-hmm. Um, so I'm up to the second part where Rin and Alice are about to venture into the forest and beyond to solve the riddle of the bone houses and, and to see, you know, if they can stop the rising ill magic. Mm. Mm. Sounds so, yeah. ominous. <laughs> yes, no, I'm liking it so far. Mm. Um, it's interesting and- how many European folklore stories and, and myths really centered around like forests and and untamed wild areas and Mm. places like that as well Mm. well i think you know it's we're very disconnected from nature or most people are not many people live out in the wild so i think it was more about telling people or about educating them about the dangers of of being in the forest and and being away from home and and that you know that thing that is always talked about in in a lot of fiction you know man versus nature and um you know controlling nature and putting order over nature I think that's where a lot of that comes yeah. from yeah mm. Mm. definitely sounds interesting mm. yeah so far so good I mean the writing. It's it's a pretty easy read, um, but I like the world building and I'm interested to know what happens. So, mm. so it'll keep you going. Yeah, mm, for sure. But Kirsty, what are you reading at the moment? Uh, so I'm currently reading a um, memoir that I picked up um, from the library just before we closed. Um, it's called All the Wrong Moves a memoir about chess, love, and ruining everything um, by Sasha Chapin. Um, and with, with a title like that, uh, I had to uh, pick it up. Um, so it's, um, so Sasha is a journalist and the, the book kind of follows his two-year journey across the globe in search of chess glory. Uh, so, so far we've read about his adolescent introduction to chess, um, and his later reintroduction to the game in, um, Katmandu Nabal, um, which reignited an obsession and kind of addiction, um, to, to the black and white pieces. Mm. Um, so it's fast paced and entertaining and it's great turns of phrase, but it's also... Um, so far, I, I'm probably only 15% through. Um, 
it's also moving in in the way it talks about that all-consuming passion um, and the way that that ordinary things can become as addictive and destructive um, as substance abuse. Uh, so far, he hasn't ruined his life yet <laughs> um, to do with chess. Um, but just it's it's funny um, and it's it's um, quite easy to read. Like there's this section I quite enjoyed where he was describing the three stages of a chess game. Um, the opening, the middle game and the end game. And um, for the end game, he's kind of said, end games are the province of the most scrupulous players. They're often superficially boring, but those who understand their subtleties can swindle those who don't. Mm. They're stones that, when squeezed hard enough, often actually do produce blood. Yeah. Um, mm. Nicely written. So, mm. yeah, yeah, so it's 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 a joy to read. I'm not a huge chess aficionado, um, which the kids who come to chess club can, can attest to when they beat me every week. Uh, but I understand enough, and you don't have to be an expert in the game to really enjoy this book. So I'm looking forward to continuing to read it. Mm. So, Kirsty, is it that he is going to ruin his life or or have well, some kind of chess is going to have a detrimental effect on his life? Well, well, so far after he was reintroduced to the game, um, he started playing online chess um and would sit there for hours and hours not moving not bathing only eating um, oh, wow. fast food um so um and given the subtitle um is it's about chess love and ruining everything i think he's going to um have some interesting times as he travels across the globe trying to beat other people in in the chess tournament mm. um He's he's also like so far been fairly honest with the fact that he's not actually like a super great chess player as well, which makes this this passion um, and obsession with the game even more heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, yeah, just mm. so it'll be interesting to see um, where his journey leads. Mm. Um, so. That's what we're currently what we're currently reading. But um, I don't know we have a bit of a chat about something we've already finished and we know the ending too. Um, Anita, um, is there anything you've you've read that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, um, there is a title. I actually listened to this one on audiobook um, on e audio on Box, which is um, available at the library. And I normally listen to quite a bit of audio on the drive to work. So um, that has been a real change with um, not being able to, to commute. So I've had to adjust when I listen to audiobooks. But this is one that I um, just finished recently. It's called The Ruin by Dervla McTiernan. So um, she is an Irish writer, but she lives in WA. The book's set in Ireland, in mostly in Galway, um, and it follows um, Detective Inspector Cormac Riley um, as through through a case. But it's not—I don't know—I I feel like it's not a traditional 
kind of whodunit. They, that sort of style of crime doesn't really appeal to me. But um, instead, it's it's got a bit more more life to it, if that makes sense. Like he, you get to know him a bit better, and um, the cases he's following are a bit more complex than just uh, someone dies and someone did it. So he um, has been working in Dublin, and he's you know done really well in his career there, and he's moved back to Galway um, for his partner. His partner's moved there for work, and he's sort of trying to make his name in the local um, police force there. And the book starts with an introduction um, going back about 20 years to one of Cormac's first cases, which is when he turned up to a house. Um, he thought it was just like a domestic a domestic situation, but it turns out um, there were two young children in the house and the mother was not just ill, she was actually dead. Um, and he, you know, that, that sort of memory is always stuck with him. These two young children who um, were now without their mother, um, sounds like they'd had a pretty rough life anyway. The house was a mess and had no electricity connected and all sorts. And he helped those kids um, get out of that situation mm-hmm. totally early on in his career and it just really stuck with him. And then we brought back into the present where um, – a character named Jack is his body's found in the river. So he's died, and the police have said, "Oh, suicide, body in the river, pretty easy, open and closed." But there's actually a bit more to it. And Cormick's working on an old case, which is the death of the kid's mother. Um, turns out one of those kids is actually Jack, the body who was in the river. So there's a bit of um, of crossover that starts to happen between what happened 20 years ago and what's hap- what happened to Jack now. Um, the, the the story just kept me guessing the whole time. I, I read a term that described this book, which was small town noir, which I, I love this genre. Mm. I think I'm going to use it from now on. Um, it describes it really well. You really feel like you're in, um, yeah, you're really feeling a sense of, of place. You're feeling like, you know, people, people know each other, especially um, the story set 20 years ago with the two kids because, yeah, it's like how, how did that family get to that situation? There were neighbours around but people just weren't helping. And you have that constant sense of um, of unease, that noir. I guess it's like Scandi crime meets, um, meets Ireland, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And the book's narrated by um, Aoife McMahon. So she's um, Irish and I've, I've heard a couple of books that she's narrated and they've always been really good and she, you know, just really helps create that local feel with her lovely narration. So I highly recommend it. And I've actually already started reading the second book by um, Dervila McTiernan called The Scholar. So also with Cormac O'Reilly, Cormac Riley. Mm, yeah. One thing I've always wondered with, with crime fiction, I, I don't read a lot of it, but I, I don't mind. I, I dip in and out. But mm. a lot of crime fiction and even crime TV series, you know, a lot of these crimes are committed in small places and I think would would a small place really have this much crime <laughs> and, and the sorts of violent crime? Um, but, Thinking um, of, like, blue healers, like how much crime can a small country town have? Yeah, um, I don't. I never watched blue healers actually, but I was thinking more things like Broadchurch or Midsummer Murder, you know, like they're, mm. they're always set in these, you know, in country Britain or... Mm. And I kind of think, well, really, but then again, you know, I, I started reading, a, but sorry, not reading, listening to um, Case Files podcasts 
Mm. and um, which is true crime. And, yeah, there is apparently a lot of bizarre cases that happen in country Victoria, so uh, I stand corrected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe they, they don't always get the same coverage that they do mm. in big town. And I think, you know, when, when things happen in smaller towns, they almost, especially when it's, like, you know, happening to people and there's death, it mm. has a bigger impact. Like, I mean, you know, you still hear about cases like, you know, Jaden Lesky missing and give, like, you know, they're mm. like it, it sticks in people's minds for some reason. Mm. So maybe um, it's it's precisely that. Like, how could this happen in this town? And that's what makes it so, so in like why powerful. people write about it, why people want to yeah. tell the stories. Yeah, so powerful, mm. exactly. Mm. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. So you said um, this one kept you guessing. Did you, in fact, guess the the conclusion or the the solution before it happened, or did um, you read to, it as it was unfolding? Them, yeah, I, I did read it as I was unfolding. To one of them, I, I had a bit of an inkling um, because, it, yeah, you sort of end up with the he's working on the case um, of the mother's death. Um, like a, a cold case, and then you've got the case of of Jack, um, who they'd said was suicide. So I had I did guess was one of them, but not the other. But, and does that so when you're reading crime, I I have this thing when I'm reading crime, and if I guess the ending, then I'm left sitting there wondering if I was meant to have guessed the ending by this mm-hmm. point, whether I was supposed to have guessed who the killer was. Mm. Or whether it was, um, you know, just that I'm I'm very used to like the tropes in in uh, fiction, mm. or yeah, it's mm. it's interesting when you second do you guess. Do you feel robbed when you do guess? It? <laughs> <laughs> it depends how early it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's like even like fantasy, I was reading a book and within like the first. 20 pages I'm like oh okay so this character is actually the son of the king mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it takes 250 pages to, to reach that conclusion mm-hmm. if it's that early I do feel robbed but mm, yeah. uh, some sometimes it's gratifying to guess before mm. before the end is revealed yeah I, I didn't feel robbed with this mm. one I think if anything like the author left enough clues because because um, of the way the stories kind of crossed over, so I, I felt like yeah it, it was it was obvious enough and it didn't reduce my pleasure in this particular story. It was um yeah, yeah it, it was like well, I you don't want it to come happened. out of the blue either. Um, no, no, you don't want you know some some authors and TV show makers delight in tricking the audience yeah yeah um, which, which I'm not a huge fan of yeah no she did a good job with this one so um I would recommend it and I'm yeah only about an hour and a half into the second book but already really enjoying that too so looking forward to the third already <laughs> <laughs> excellent mm. um and Sophie um have you got something you've you've read before that you'd like to talk about Mm, sure. Um, I actually listened to the e-audiobook of Uprooted by Naomi Novik. I actually had read it 
a few years before and I really enjoyed the book and it's one of my favourite fantasy books. Um, but, lovely. yeah, I was doing that. Sorry? Oh, it's a lovely book. It is, yeah. Um, I was doing that comfort reading, you know, but I was interested to see what it would be like as an audio book. I did prefer to to read it. I felt like I could immerse myself in the world a little bit more, but I recommend the, the audio book as well. Um, it was a it was a nice listen. A um, few common themes I feel like between this and the Bone Houses, um, mm. both based within folklore, but this is more Eastern European folklore, um, and both have forests in it. Um, but the main character of Uprooted uh, is a young woman named Agnieszka, and she's not your typical protagonist. You know, she's not particularly beautiful or gifted, um, which I think is a nice change from. Uh, historically how uh, fantasy protagonists have been portrayed you know they are often exceptional in some way but she's not you know she's clumsy and she's dirty all the time and um, not your typical heroine and Agnieszka lives in a valley um, that is near a wood and the wood is very dangerous it has menacing creatures and the people that do manage to come back out of the wood alive are never the same and are quite dangerous themselves. Um, uh, and in the valley there lives a wizard and every 10 years he comes and chooses a young girl from one of the local villages and she lives with him in service for a number of years and then she returns home. Um, but when she returns home, she's not quite the same, uh, not in a bad way, but she just can't readjust to village life and she she often goes somewhere else to live in a big city or in a far-off place. Um, and so when the, the wizard dragon chooses these tributes, they are women who are exceptional in some way. They might cook really well or dance really well or be beautiful. Um, so when he comes to Agnieszka's village, everyone thinks that Kazia, who is Agnieszka's best friend, will be chosen because she is one of those girls. Uh, but to everyone's surprise, Agnieszka is chosen because it turns out she is a witch and the dragon has to, has to train her. Um, so what follows is how Agnieszka grows into her power um, and her powers are different to what, the dragon knows, uh, which is a nice, nice, interesting counterpoint um, to his sort of magic. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I, it's correct, correct yeah. If I'm remembering incorrectly, but mm. it, I, I want to say, does he not tell her that she has magic to begin with? I, yes, I that's right. Like, yeah. At first, she doesn't really understand why she's been chosen. He doesn't. When, when he's in the village to choose her, he does a quick magic test. Like he, he, I guess, creates some energy in his hands and he says, take this, and she can hold it. And, and she doesn't really understand because, you know, she's never manifested any powers before. You know, she's just an ordinary girl according to, you know, to everyone she knows and to herself. So um, she really doesn't understand why she's been chosen mm. um and then you know and and he is a bit awful he's not 
you know, a super mm. likable character. Um, but yeah, she he starts to teach her, but you know, the way he teaches her doesn't really resonate with her. And he's and she finds a book in his bookshelf, um, which are the the writings of Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga is this figure in Eastern European folklore. She's a feared witch, you know. And um, but she understands his her magic, but he doesn't. And he actually gets quite um, frustrated because, you know, um, his magic is really ordered and you have to say things in a precise way, whereas Agnieszka describes it as, you know, um, going picking through the woods. You know, you have to pick your way through the brambles and, and over the river and, you know, and the path changes every time. There's no set way. So... Yeah, it's almost like this chaos versus order mm. battle between them. But, um, yeah, lovely world building, really well written. Um, I really like the way that um, Naomi Novik portrays the friendship between Agnieszka and Kazia. I think it's a really um, honest portrayal of how young female friendship works and, you know, the, the nuances of that. But my my criticism of the book is the relationship between Dragon and Agnieszka, which I I find to be a bit unbelievable, considering she handles friendship in such an honest way. Um, and I guess it's because Agnieszka is a young woman. I think she's maybe 18 or 19, but Dragon is a wizard who is over a century mm. um, years old. And I just don't really know... Um, how realistic that is um you know what interest would a man of his learning and experience have in such a young woman um yeah but maybe that's because I'm cynical maybe love for witches and wizards is different and it's all about the magic um but yeah (laughs) I I just I, I just didn't find it so believable and I will say though that um Novik handle in the end their relationship isn't like this fairy book tale you know ending it is a little bit more complex than that but yeah I I still feel like it doesn't sit quite well mm. I'll have to reread it now mm. Mm. no well, I, I have as I said I've read it a few times and it's one of my comfort reads but one of the best fantasy novels I've picked up in a long while mm. excellent so well, can you tell guess, us about something you read? Yeah, so, well, speaking of rereads, um, when I was thinking about books to talk about, um, I was looking at my bookshelf and um, The Air Affair by Jasper Ford. It's the first book in the Thursday Next series. Uh, and now that I've remembered it, it has existed, I feel the need to reread the entire series. Uh <laughs> So uh, this first book, The Air Affair, um, introduces the whole world and the characters. Um, So Ford's writing has been described, I guess, as like a cross between uh, Douglas Adams and uh, Terry Pratchett. So uh, it's very fast paced. There's a lot going on. Um, This this book is uh, set in an alternate 1985. 
um, when where the Crimean War is still raging. Um, cheese is a restricted substance. What? Mm-hmm. Um, no. <laughs> all cheese? Yeah, all, have, you know, like, certain types? Yeah, no, like, <laughs> all, all cheese, like, they've got cheese black markets going Ooh. on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cloning and time travel are regulated, so that the main character has a pet dodo um, that she um, she built from a kit, pretty much. Oh, um, cool. And her father's a time travel agent. Um, and literature is one of the cornerstones of society, which manifests in many weird and delightful ways throughout the entire series. Um, the main character on though how how is cloning regulated i mean are you can you make a clone of yourself or Uh, so cloning from memory cloning people is a no-no but Mm -hmm. like they've they've brought back extinct animals Mm -hmm. um they have brought back the neanderthals Mm -hmm. um so there's there's a like b plot that runs runs through maybe a c plot there's many different <laughs> subplots um, to do with Neanderthal rights. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah. I like might have to read this. I'm, I'm sold already, Kirsty. Yeah. I, th- I think I read this book many, 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 like quite a while ago, and my memory on it is super vague. But when you start talking about the dodo, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the cheese, though. That's it. Like, I'm traumatized oh. by that now. <laughs> And there are so many, like, it's jam-packed with these these delightful, like, weird twists and facts to this alternate world, and nothing's wasted either. You'll read something in book one, and it's just a throwaway line. It'll come back in book, book four or five, oh, um, or even in something that he's, like, he wrote a, a young adult series and um used some of the things from this world in in that series as well mm. um so so the main character thursday next is a literotech which is so she's a literary detective um and so far her career has mainly been investigating crimes like book smuggling um forgeries like people claiming they've found a long lost shakespeare and things like that mm. um but near the start of the book, she's deputized to a special department um, to help in an operation to capture the nefarious Acheron Hades, uh, who is an old professor of hers turned criminal mastermind, uh, who has the the ability to, I guess, kind of hypnotize people on site. So she's the only one, she's the only person alive who can recognize his face. Um and this this operation goes south. Uh, it's very early on in the book, and she's the only one who makes it out alive. Uh, so when Hades um, finds a way to travel into books um, and to alter them from the inside, he decides to hold the character Jane Eyre to ransom uh, <laughs> because if he kills Jane in the book, the character will disappear from every single copy of Jane Eyre in existence, um, which would I make mean, it so a very, very short and boring book. 
was going to say, I'm pretty sure Sorry. Jane is one of Anita's um, favourite favorite books that would be oh, devastating it, 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 it did cross my mind i'm like what no Jane. what would rochester do no <laughs> he'd have to look after his wife maybe <laughs> yeah. No, yeah he's fine she looks Spoiler after herself fair point though rochester is a negligent husband yes indeed but also <laughs> i mean i suppose at the time, what are you going to do except to lock your insane wife in the in the attic? Um, yeah, we apologise for probably... anyone listening who hasn't read Jane Eyre. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, just on that note, <laughs> you don't have to have read Jane Eyre to enjoy this book. I hadn't mm. read it the first time. I read The Air Affair and I still followed um, along everything, which, which is good. Mm. Um, but then Thursday... Um, has to also enter the fictional world to to save, you know, one of history's great, great works of literature. Um, and there's a there's an enormous big climax. It's really fun. Just yeah, um, just read it. <laughs> yeah, just read it. Just read it. Hmm. Sounds good. Uh, so just um, I guess to wrap up, if we want to quickly talk about something uh, we're looking forward to reading. Um, Anita, aside from the second and third book in that, that trilogy mm. or series you're reading, is there anything else you've got your eye on? Um, yeah, actually, I was um, having a look through my bookshelf because uh, I thought, well, this is, this will be my book supply for the near future. Um, and I was surprised at discovering all these great books that I had amassed over the years and promptly forgotten about. And one of them, which I'm pleasant, I'm kind of surprised I have this book actually, because I don't normally read nonfiction, so I can't, I don't know why I would have bought it, but thank you, past me, for buying a copy of um, Helen Gardner's The First Stone, and the subtitle is Some Questions About Sex and Power. So Helen Gardner um, writes nonfiction. I mean, she's well known for her '70s uh, novel Monkey Grip, which I've never read. But I have read um, some of her nonfiction and really enjoyed it. And this one is similar to um, a recent one I read by her where it looks at a criminal case and kind of unpacks that both from, like, I mean, it's not trying to make assumptions about what happened. It's just kind of recounting what happened and then I guess kind of um, looking at some of the social aspects and the sociological impact of that um, and this one is around um, an assault a sexual assault case that happened in 1992 at the University of Melbourne and two women who claimed to be assaulted at a party and the accused was the head of Ormond College and it was quite shocking at the time as well like I don't really remember it myself but I know it, it had quite an impact and I, I've, having read some of Helen Gardner's nonfiction in a similar vein, like where she investigates these criminal cases, she just comes at it from a really empathetic and factual way that makes it absolutely gripping. Like I really enjoyed the last book I read by her, which was Joe Chinque's Consolations. So super pleased I've got this one on my bookshelf and looking forward to reading it. Nice. Not exactly light reading, but no. it'll keep you occupied. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not too long, so I think um, I should be okay. It's only about 200 pages, so. Um, what are and... you guys looking forward to? Yeah, Sophie? Um, I'm looking forward to reading Consider the Fork, A History of How We Cook and Eat 
by B. Wilson. Uh, this was a, a book that I found on my bookshelf, um, and I really in, enjoy reading history from the um, perspective of, of, or from a theme. So um, I've had a, a little look at the introduction, and it talks about the wooden spoon and how it's <laughs> so influential on our kitchens and on the way we cook. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what it what it tells me not only about cooking but about you know the the social and cultural developments um that come with it mm. yeah that's that's what are i'm you, looking forward to mm. are you a keen cook as well or um interested uh look i can cook um and when i have time to cook i really enjoy it i find that if it's you know during the week and you know i've got other things on i i really try to cook as as quickly as i can but, yeah, I, I don't mind it. I do enjoy it. Um, FYI, Maggie Beer has been doing some lovely little videos on her social media, so I've been watching those and getting some ideas. Oh, I love Maggie um, Beer. I'll have to go have yeah. a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're nice and short and sweet. And no, my kitchen is so nice. nice. Yeah, lovely. I want to be there. But, yeah, <laughs> but maybe this will inspire me to cook some more. Mm. Mm. Sounds, it sounds interesting. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, while while I also have a pile of books at home that I haven't read, which is probably taller than I am, uh, the book I'm looking forward to actually I ordered from a local bookstore and I am just sitting here forlornly looking at my mailbox every day waiting for it to mm -hmm. arrive. So that is uh, Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey. I was reading an article with the with the author, and I'm, I'm not sure why. I probably just clicked next on a blog or something uh, and got to this throwaway line that they'd said um, about the book. So they said, for instance, in Upright Women Wanted, I knew I wanted the premise to include queer spy librarians on horseback, but that's not a plot. And I said, I don't care if it's not a plot shut up and take my money um, because Westerns, librarians, spies, it's probably fantasy given the author's other other books, but it might be historical fiction as well because horseback librarians were a real thing in frontier America. Either way, I haven't looked too far into what it's about because it's only a novella, so I don't want to spoil, spoil myself too much by looking too far into what it's about but I'm sure it'll be fun so maybe I'll we can watching the mailbox <laughs> yeah yeah maybe we can bring back horseback librarians <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we don't have to Actually, as we while we're up on the horse and, and just like yeah. lean over and <laughs> pop the bag of books on the, the on the gate post and yeah. end right away. Worked <laughs> before, worked before. Yeah, something to think about. Mm. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Sounds like you've got some yeah. interesting things on the go. Yeah, you too. Mm. Like I always really come away is. with this with more to read. <laughs> mm. Well, hopefully everyone listening does as well. So um, this is what's keeping us occupied during COVID-19 when we're not uh, recording programs and 
coming up with more resources for you. So if you'd like to contact the podcast team, you can send us an email at libraryadmin at wyndham.vic.gov.au or shoot us a message on one of the library's social media platforms. Uh, so that's at Libraries in Wyndham on Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to hear what you think or what you're reading. Um, so stay safe and happy reading. Happy reading. Bye.